The job. The stress. We are, there is an active shooter working at Douglas. Multiple gunshots are being fired. Politics. Politics. Pressure. Pressure. Get out of here. We got a guy with a long rifle. We don't know where the hell he's at. Fear. Survival. Control 765, I need the radio for a minute. Be advised, we are taking fire from a very high floor. We believe it's possibly coming from the Mandalay Bay. And we get it. And we have to do better. The truth behind the badge. Presented by the Team South Florida Law Enforcement Charity. Good evening. It is Sunday night, August 9th, 2020. This is Rich with another episode of Truth Behind the Badge. I'm joined this evening by Tom. Tom is a retired law enforcement officer from the West Coast. Tom, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us tonight. My pleasure. Thanks, Rich. So you're very much still involved with law enforcement, active and fellow retired law enforcement officers. Is that correct? Yeah, you know what? I think anytime you retire from uh, uh, any organization, uh, your hearts are always with those men and women that you leave behind. Um, and I think it's important just to support and be there. And, uh, um, you know, if you can be a, a helping hand in any way, whether it's advice or talking to other public members that don't know what law enforcement goes through, I think it's our duty and I think it's our right to uh, keep that going throughout the nation. Definitely respect that. And just roughly, your law enforcement experience and how long you've been retired? Absolutely. I did uh, 25 years with a West Coast organization, moved out from the Midwest. So uh, it was my dream to become a police officer uh, ever since I was a little boy, growing up on a farm. So um, I accomplished that by going to college, getting my criminal justice degree. And, and unlike a lot of people uh, that really choose a profession or a career um, I knew what I was going to do early on and it was always in my heart I always watched the tv shows and you know I can name all the old ones that uh, I looked up to and, and wanted to uh, be like someday so I was fortunate enough to get hired by the PD out, out west and um, did 25 years just enjoyed myself and during that time raised a family and and really didn't take it home with me per se. And I think that's the problem in law enforcement is sometimes you get deemed as the, the organization where you're always on duty or you're, you're uh, always thinking the worst of people. And, and I think as long as you're grounded and you do a good job, you have the light at the end of the rainbow. And that was for me uh, in 2012 when I finally decided that uh, I had a son that was about to be drafted and, and going on to play uh a sport that he loved and, and I coached as he grew up. So it was, it was just a no brainer for, for me in 2012, just to retire. I had enough time on and, and did that and, and followed him. And, and now I just uh, stay connected with all my fellow law enforcement officers. Well, that is great. Uh, what was one of your favorite TV characters or movie characters growing up related to the job? <laughs> got to ask. One Adam 12, <laughs> see the man. <laughs> you know, I think any, uh, I was in, uh, I was in motors for a while. So it was chips. I, uh, was a detective sergeant. So it was, uh, you know, any of the shows where they, uh, had the detectives to it, fish and all those guys. I mean, it was just numerous, way too many to name, to name, uh, to give just due to, uh, any show, but 
I'll tell you what, I could probably rattle off 20, 30 characters, and, uh, <laughs> Barney Fife and Sheriff, uh, you know, gosh, just on and on. All right. So what we're going to do, we're just going to dive right into this. I'm going to break this into four separate sections. I want to talk about tonight with you, the current climate, leadership, honoring our fallen, and then advice. So if I could dig right into the first one with the current climate, obviously these times are troubling to say the least. So just a couple of questions on the climate. What is it like for you being retired, but still being so closely connected with guys that are not retired, guys and women that are not retired, and just seeing what's going on these days? It's got to be frustrating. You know what? That's, that's probably the best word to describe it as frustrating because you know that there's so many good police officers out there um, and community members that back those good officers. And in or, any organization, any profession, you're going to have a couple bad apples that are going to make that organization or that profession look bad. And, and that's really what's happened. I mean, we saw that with, um, you know, the riots when I was first on years ago, the Rodney King uh, riots and and the stuff that we went through early on that we thought, holy buckets, I would never see that as a law enforcement officer. And then, you know, you just continue to see the the incidents where a specific group wants you to believe their narrative. And in believing their narrative, you're going to buy into what happens around the world. And then, unfortunately, I think you get too many paid actors, uh, people that aren't really there for the right cause they're there to stir up trouble and i think that's what we're seeing around the country is uh people have really started the normal person i should say has really settled down and started listening and dialoguing with our off officers and knowing that there's great officers out there but you have those bad apples the uh portland incident that's gone on for i think 76 days straight now and and just all those incidences where you know, you're wondering, are those really people of their community or are they just actors that are there to stir up trouble? So, you know, unfortunate, I think uh, it, it comes around. It's going to go around. It'll go full, full circle for us in law enforcement. And, uh, you know, I saw a study the other day. There was a, a 11 period, 11 year period that doctors were uh, sued or killed uh, patients during malpractice suits and the rate was unbelievable compared to law enforcement but because doctors have malpractice insurance and nobody really holds them accountable you don't hear about those things and just I was reading that article in the I think it was the New York Times and I was just amazed that we in law enforcement are on the front lines we're we're there we're people tell us that are you know they they um the narrative is out there in the public and, and uh, you know, some news outlets just won't let that go. I, I completely agree. And I, I get it being held to the higher standard and everything, but you bring up a good point about other professions. Uh, it's funny. You mentioned Portland police and I remember being shocked. I just pulled up their Twitter page 16 hours ago. They put out failure to adhere to this order may subject you to arrest citation or crowd control agents, including but not limited to tear gas and or impact weapons. Again, this is a riot. All people, including members of the press and legal observers, must leave immediately. I got to be honest, Tom, it, it sounds like some of these areas, Seattle, Portland, have turned into war zones at times. Uh, have, 
you mentioned you mentioned the Rodney King riots. Was it like this during your time? No, I don't think anything. I mean, this is unprecedented just because of social media and uh, the current climate and all these um, act, uh, athletes and uh, professional, um, you know, actors and all this getting involved. I don't think we've ever seen this, and and I hope we never see it again. You know, this is this is unfortunate times for us. I remember going through field training, and one of my FTOs told me, you're going to have ups and downs, good and bad, and things are cyclical in this profession. Do you believe in that? And if so, do you see us recovering from our current times? Yeah, you know, I really do. I don't think uh, police work will be ever the same, unfortunately. But I do believe that there is going to be a period where uh, us in law enforcement are going to be respected again. You know, this whole defund the police is just ludicrous. Um, you know, we we uh, have a couple bad apples, and I, you know, I've said it earlier, and I continue to say it. I don't think anybody condones what happened in Minneapolis, but I think what uh, the public needs to hear too is, you know, that that police officer had 17 complaints. They tried to get rid of them and weren't able to. So I don't think you can hold the police department. 100% liable for him either. You have arbitrators that got him his job back. Um, you know, in that climate, uh, the union unfortunately protects sometimes the bad apples. And I think just uh, we hold the, the steady ground and we can continue to be as good as we can be as people. I think things are, are going to turn, hopefully. Well, I, w- I would take what you said a step further. And I would say, I don't see how you can hold the entire profession across the country accountable for one person yeah. and one incident and one agency. Yeah. And, yeah, that, that word frustrating just comes to mind. All right, let me transition to the next segment, leadership. And obviously the two go hand in hand. And I could tell you, I'm in South Florida and gosh, we have seen such a diverse group of leaders whether you're talking about chiefs, directors, or sheriffs, there seems to be damn near zero consistency. You have some leaders out there in, in the front lines publicly backing up their officers. You have some that seem to be very, very quiet and not get involved. Have you noticed a change in leadership styles over the years? Were they all the same and then things changed? Or what's your take on what you've seen? Well, I think the unfortunate, you know, as I rose up the ranks uh, with my organization, I always looked back at, I took a couple great things from each person that either supervised me or was my training officer or somebody that impacted me. And I, and I really tried to gravitate towards what made them somebody that I looked up to. Was it their hands off? Was it their ability to teach? Was it their kind giving? Was it, you know, all the things that we as police officers, the different hats that we have to wear. So as, you know, as, as an organization, I think it's important um, that you have all different leadership styles because some, some styles aren't going to work for some police officers. But when you say that, I think you just have to understand and remember too, that as a, uh, as a supervisor, you just have to be consistent. And I think that's the one thing that we as law enforcement officers want. We want somebody that we can, we know that if he did it, he or she led that way before, they're going to lead that way this time. And when I, when I say that, I, I really 
think that it's important that we don't have wishy-washy supervisors or somebody that's not going to have our back and then behind closed doors claim that they do have our backs. And I think that's any anybody in any position, whether you're an employee at Walmart or you're an employee at Home Depot, you're going to want that person to supervise you the way, one, he supervises everybody else, and then also how he supervised a week ago or a month ago or a year ago. And then if he does change, why did he change? Did he give you that information? Was he was he caring, un- understanding, and honest with you about that? Or was he two-faced? And I think, you know, those things are the key. Yeah. I will tell you that from some of the phone calls we receive and the messages we receive from officers from, quite frankly, across the country at times, it seems consistently, and I just, our last episode, I spoke with Nick Wilson from California from the Resiliency Project, and he experienced the same feedback from people reaching out to his organization. It seems one of the biggest stresses for law enforcement these days is the feeling of not having support. Would you agree yeah. with that? I mean, that, that seems to oh, be universal. very much so. And you know what? The support comes from all different type of people, whether it's, you know, the basic support of your fellow officer. Is it the support of your family at home? Is it uh, the extended family? I mean, there's so many dynamics that come into play. You could talk about support even away from the PD, but more importantly, I think what you're talking about is what support did you get from your first line supervisor your second line supervisor, and then ultimately the sheriff or your community. Because if you have a mayor that's just um, there to get reelected and is going to try to say the right words to you, but you know that when he gets out in front of the microphone, he or she says the exact opposite, you know that you can't rely on that person when when push comes to shove. So uh, I think anytime human nature, you've got to have, you want support. Um, from your family at home, from your loved ones across the country, from your fellow blue officers. Sometimes we in law enforcement don't even get our own support from our fellow blue officers on, on the skirmish line. Well, I, I think that's a big part of the problem today. I have seen a drastic change in camaraderie. And this might make you laugh being from the West Coast. I, for as you know, worked in the West Coast as well and then came over here. Our vice president, Mike, is from New Jersey, and I don't want them to take away the take-home cars in Florida, but I'm just going to make you laugh real quick. Mike is adamant, and he's got 37 years on, he did up in Jersey. He is completely adamant that the biggest problem with camaraderie is the take-home cars because he says, you get dressed, you take your car from your driveway, you go to work, you finish your shift, and you drive home. There's no talking in the locker room. There's no hanging out after work. There's no hanging out before work. None of that. And yeah. I don't know. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's true. Well, you know what? As a motor officer, you had the same thing. You're, you you were responsible true. for logging on when you uh, left your residence, uh, liability-wise. And then as soon as you got home, you logged off from your garage. You went inside undressed, and you were home. So. You know, I, I'd look upon that sometimes maybe as what uh, that gentleman's saying is that that might be true. Um, I've never looked at it that way because really in motors, you went in, you briefed. Um, most days you debriefed, just handing in your wrecks and your citations. But uh, for the most part, those were some of the most enjoyable times was to knuckle it up and have a good time with your fellow officer, whether it was 
playing pranks on each other or, you know, just walking in and seeing that smiley face or maybe somebody that was down and out and you could help them, uh, you know, lift them up that day. Yeah, that's definitely uh, accurate. Uh, not to defend bad leadership, but I will say, I just want to be in fairness. I think the times are so difficult and some of our leaders today find themselves in a very, very difficult position, almost like a rock and a hard place between social media, the stress and pressure from the community, the activists, the politicians, and then they turn around in their own police department or sheriff's office uh, facility and they have it from their own. So I acknowledge that. I get that. But I would default back to what you said earlier about being consistent. I think if you remain consistent, I don't think you're going to catch anybody by surprise and people know what to expect. Yep. Very much so. Very much so. All right. If, uh, out of all the leaders that you worked for is, is there any one or two that other than consistency, is there anything that stuck out for you that, you feel is really, really important. And then seeing some of the leaders, two-part question, and then seeing some of the leaders today, and I I put quotes around leaders because there's been a lot of bad examples, unfortunately. Is there anything that sticks out where you see you cringe and you say, oh, my goodness, they said this or they did that? You know what? I think um, for me, uh, as I looked at people, uh, you know, I've said it once, I think I'll say it again, as long as you have character, integrity, honesty, um, the things that most people look at. And, you know, even as a training officer or even as a first line supervisor, I would look at my guys and I would say, you know what, you're going to get who ta- who I am as a person, not only away from work, but at work. So you're, you're going to understand, you're going to know who I am within the first several months of working together. You're going to see who, how I act to an elderly woman, how I act to a, um, a victim, how I act to a suspect, because I'm going to want to be treated the way I want you to treat my mom, the way I'm going to show you how I'm going to treat that suspect. So, um, you know, it's, it's every leadership style is different. The thing I cringe on now is the, the person that doesn't have the backbone, the supervisor that um, you know, didn't get taught. What, what are we teaching our supervisors as far as leadership and leadership comes in all forms. I've said it before. Uh, but I think consistency, honesty, integrity are the huge things that I took away from the ones that I looked up to. Hopefully that's the way I left my jurisdiction. And I still have a ton of great relationships with guys that are uh, ending their career that still remember my nickname. Uh, you know, I have a kind of a great nickname here. So, you know, people don't know me by the first name, Tom, they'll know me something else. And, you know, it's just kind of enjoyable. Oh, I know him. Of course. Da, da, da. Because I think I treated everybody right. Um, and, and I think that's the key for us in law enforcement. And, you know, like I said earlier, the home Depot employee, what, what does it look like for that person to know, that you or he, you, uh, he or her are going to have your back. Yeah. I possibly answer your question about what are we teaching leaders today or supervisors today? One of the sergeants that recently retired in our area mentioned one of the things that frustrated him with training today with newer supervisors is 
It seems more like a checkbox. Let's just get all the checkboxes filled out, CYA, and that's it. Instead of just being human, looking at a problem, figuring out what it takes to solve the problem because there, there is no exactly the same problem when you look at two or three or four different problems. Everything's different. So I, I don't know if that answers part of what you brought up, but that was something yep. that I figured was worth mentioning. Yeah. All right. Uh, third section, and I know that this one is probably near and dear to you, honoring our fallen, and I wanted to touch on this. So our charity focuses on honoring our fallen. That's how we really got started. Those from our organization who know you truly know how much it means to you. For those who don't know you, can you explain why you feel it's so important to always do this even when you retire from the profession? Yeah, I'll tell you what. Um, you're taught in the academy, you know, the history of your organization as you go down the hollowed walls of the academy, for us at least. And you looked at those faces and you kind of read their narrative and you were like, wow. You know, he, he he died in this gun battle or he died at this horrific car accident or hit by a drunk driver or whatever. And then it really didn't hit home until it happened to somebody in your organization as you wore that badge. And then you saw what law enforcement does for their fallen, how pretty much the the organization and the community stop and they just pause, honor are fallen and remember and take care of his family. And it really happened. It, it home hit home for me when I lost a very dear friend, um, that died on, on the, um, sidewalk driveway of a aspiring uh, rapper here in town. And, and, uh, I was on the honor guard at the time and, uh, honoring, uh, our fallen and or officers that were, um, retired and died that we gave um, credentials to and all that um, good stuff, gave them folded flags. And, and um, it would always hit home to me. I always had a tear. I always was that sensitive guy that, you know, when you got done, you took off your white gloves, you folded the flag and you, you thought, I hope nobody has to do that for me any day. Um, and as more and more police officers died, uh, in my organization, and unfortunately, we've had way too many. Um, it was always something that I I looked at and said, I will never not take care of X, Y, and Z. Whether it was a family member, a child, um, I still am very good friends with uh, my buddy who died in the line of duty. His two his two daughters, um, I see them monthly. I talk to them weekly. I know their I know their kids. I know his grandkids. Uh, he would be so proud of these kids. And then you look at what could I do as a person? You know, us police officers, we you know we we have a guy. We uh, have somebody in the community that's willing to help and and uh, step up and help us raise funds. Well, get off your butt and go do it. And so that is kind of what I've always done is had a golf tournament, uh, rode a bicycle, um, had a motorcycle run, whatever I could do that fit that current climate that I could raise a few bucks to put in the pocket of, a a girl that wanted to go to college or, a, a um, fallen officer's son that 
wanted to be part of a baseball team and needed a $300 bat to, uh, you know, in his eyes, perform for his dad, who was hopefully looking down at him. Um, and so being retired, that's the best time to do it. Geez, you had no excuse. My kids are grown. Um, you know, people move on. So get off your butt, be part of the solution and don't sit back and watch. And hopefully you get, um, you know, accolades from, uh, social media. You do it because that's the right thing to do. And, uh, that's how I've always lived my life. Um, and hopefully that's what I've taught my sons and, and other officers coming up. That's an excellent answer. And it's tough to even follow up with that. Uh, I will tell you, I'm grateful for, for people like you, uh, because when I first got involved with certain events and honoring our fallen, I was really blessed because I was a newer officer at the time and I just kind of got thrown into the mix and I learned so much, so much from veteran officers and soon to be retired officers and other retired officers. It's, it's truly remarkable how at our worst of times, we can come together. All the differences are set aside and everybody just comes together. Yeah. Yep. And uh, you're, you're lucky. The community where you worked at, I, I've got images in my head of how strong that community was. So it's true. You're right. Uh, I, I think more often than not, these communities really do pause. And you mentioned a lot of things that perhaps the general public just don't realize, don't see. A lot of the human side of the profession. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. All right. Uh, Last section, and then I'll let you go. I'm going to title this uh, Tom's Advice Corner. Okay? (laughs) Advice for those considering the profession they're thinking about being a police officer. They don't know if they want to do it or not. What do you say? Well, I think the easy answer was, you know, uh, short of don't do it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think we need good officers. I think we need um, caring, kind, understanding um, people that want to get involved in the community. So Um, the unfortunate part is this is a career. This is not just a job. A job is something that you work at and then someday you move on and you go do something that you want to do more or get paid more or whatever. You're not entering law enforcement for the money. You know, I think, uh, as a police officer in retirement, I don't make bad money. I'll never say that I don't, but I'm living comfortable and that's all I ever wanted. Um, you know, as a farm boy from the Midwest, did I ever think I would be in a position that I'm in now? No, but I certainly worked my butt off to do the job that I loved. So the key, I think, for any person that wants to be be a police officer, make sure you have it in your heart. And then, honestly, if you go through the academy, and if it's not for you, don't stay. Um, because I think there's too many people that get involved with law enforcement that think it's cool to carry a gun or cool to arrest somebody, or I'm going to solve this crime because it looked great on TV. And then maybe realize law enforcement is just not for me and that's okay. But I think we need good, caring, understanding people. And in today's climate, you know, you, uh, you've got to have a special place in your heart to 
unfortunately be yelled at, spit on, kicked, not backed up by your supervisor, all the things that we as officers back in the 80s when I got on would look at and go, man, that's never going to happen to me. Everybody loves a police officer. Well, that's not the case anymore. Understand that when you go into law enforcement, not everybody's going to love you. It's going to be okay that not everybody loves you. Um, so you have to have thick skin. You have to, you know, understand the climate and the community that you're, you're uh, serving. Um, just make sure in your heart that it's something that you want to do. And don't be afraid uh, that if it's not, you, you get out. Okay. And then advice for those that just graduate the academy, they're just starting out, maybe entering field training or just finishing field training less than a year on. Oh, yeah. So those people, those are the people I call the listeners, not not the doers. And what I mean by that is we are so gung-ho as a police officer to get out there and to do it. Instead of slowing down and listening and watching, observing, learning, all the things that hopefully in the academy you're taught to, you know, listen to your field training officer, uh, you know, take your time. We just want to go, go, go as law enforcement officers. I think that's the makeup. I think that's unfortunately how we teach in the academy. But if, if that's you as a person that's maybe listening or, you know, going through uh, early field training times, I think the key to that type of person is just to listen and understand that your time's coming. You're going to make your own way. You're going to do things your way. But take the time to understand and pick two or three things from each person that you either ride along with or that you sit in briefing with and make yourself a not only a better person, but a better police officer. You, you know, you echo my night shift uh, field training sergeant. She told everybody that was under her wing, she said, you're going to have different field training officers. You need to take two or three things that you like and take them with you, absorb them, listen, learn. Yeah. Uh, you would have gotten along very well with her. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. And then the last one, and this is a tough one, advice for those with 10 to 15 years on. Uh, well, I, not eligible for retirement, you know, unless you're leaving early. Um, I think. Lay, lay low maybe. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't even like that, Rich, because I think what we as police officers do is we do. We can't just sit back and, and be reactive and not proactive. If we're a proactive organization, we're um, taking care of crime, we're reducing crime by our presence. If we're hiding and sitting and waiting for the next call, we're not doing our community any justice. So if we, you've got that 10 to 15 year officer and he or she's not into it anymore, maybe it's time to go find a different profession. You, you can't be afraid to leave behind an organization. You're going to get yourself or somebody else on your squad hurt or, or killed or, or in a suit of some time, some type. Um, but importantly, 10 to 15 years, man, you've got some great experience. Go and teach. Be the best person that you can be. Teach the young people, and leave behind a legacy. Hopefully that's what I did when I was a, a field training officer, when I was a first-line supervisor, as I went up the ranks in the detective bureau. I was hoping that I was leaving 
just a little tad bit with everybody that I touched. Sometimes it wasn't good. Sometimes I had to be the, uh, the guy that kicked them out of the bureau because they were laydowns. Um, and I was okay with that. I mean, Hey, you don't, nobody, my dad taught me years ago that not everybody's going to like you, but they better respect you. And, and that's hopefully what you can leave behind as a 10, 15 year officer is be the best person you can be serve your community the best per the, the best way you can serve. Um, and then hopefully take that time and, uh, enjoy retirement like I am now. Love it. All right. Before I go to our traditional closing, any last words? No, I tell you what, the climate is, uh, obviously rough out there. Unfortunately, I watch the news every day. Uh, there is the silent majority behind us. And that's what I think everybody has to understand is this climate, uh, is tough now. Um, the, squeaky wheel people are getting statues taken down and this and that and all these nonsense things you know i like to say too i've I've got numerous friends that are black i've got numerous friends that are hispanics latinos i have some people that are not documented uh legally but i tell you what i i think every one of them including my brother-in-law who happens to be uh uh african-american uh law enforcement officer in the midwest himself he will look at you and tell you, man, uh, Tom treats everybody the right way. Um, and I think in law enforcement, that's what we need to make sure we do. This climate's going to turn. Um, there's a great majority behind us that love us. Know that when you do, um, you know, your thin blue line badge that's on your car and you get that honk and somebody goes by you and waves, put a huge smile on your face. Thank that person. Uh, they're out there. Um, you know, I'm traveling just, uh, Friday into Denver for a wedding and a guy sees my backpack and, and I got a thin blue line flag embroidered right on my white backpack. And you can bet that I'm not taking that off, but I, he says, Hey, uh, you law enforcement. I said, retired. He's like, thank you for serving. I'm like, Oh, well, thank you. That means a lot. And he's like, I don't know how you could be a police officer now. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I, if I was, hopefully I would be the best person I could be, but I'm, you know, I thank my lucky stars every day now that I'm not. So, uh, people know we're out there. Um, you know, the, the, uh, people in the community are, are good to you. Just have to have to be good people and, and, um, you know, know that there's the silent majority that are really backing you. I couldn't agree more. Just to piggyback on that, I personally, I feel very fortunate. The community that I work in now, it is abundantly clear that the majority support us, even with the nonsense and the rhetoric going on. So I think it's on us as law enforcement officers to not give reasons for the bad. And let's just keep giving reasons for the positive. There we go. Yep. All right. In our traditional closing, we always like to say we honor our fallen and we will never forget. So it is August 9th, and I'm brought back to 1936. Miami police officer Samuel Hicks was killed in the line of duty on August 9th, 1936. He and another officer were standing next to a vehicle they had just stopped when a two-ton truck driven by an intoxicated driver struck and killed Officer Hicks. Officer Hicks was an 11-year veteran of the Miami Police Department and he was just 48 years of age. May he and his family never be forgotten. 
Tom, thank you very much for joining me tonight. Stay safe and enjoy retirement. Thanks. Appreciate it.